Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 161 with my guest and friend, Jenk Aragoon. Jenk, uh, this is the second time on the podcast. Uh, we basically chat, uh, catch up. I haven't seen Jenk in probably a couple years, maybe, sadly. But he uh, moved to Berlin recently, and, has, and that's where he was for this podcast. He's a composer that's worked with So Percussion a few times, uh, a piece called Proximity, uh, which we talk about a bit in this podcast, uh, and then also another piece called Snares, and another piece called Use. We'll talk with Jake a little bit today about creation, how you generate content, and just how you deal with life during a pandemic. And it's, always good to get, it's always good to get caught back up with Jake. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. This is Jake Ergun. Take care. Bye. Well, let's um, let's let's uh, gavel this to order here, Jank. We I won't make you talk about your your kids' uh, drumming skills oh, here, and and I'm, um, I'm happy to. we are uh, we are communicating. I am in Manchester, Connecticut, and you are in Berlin, Germany, right now. Um, so if there's any delay or we get cut off, we'll just reconnect, and I'll edit it, and it'll feel like it never happened. Um, Sounds good. Why are you in Connecticut? Uh, my wife has a job here in Manchester. Just uh, east of Hartford, about twenty minutes. Oh, I, I forgot that you guys moved from Scarsdale. Yeah, we now live. And uh, when did when did this happen? About a year ago. We're coming up on I think the end of. Sorry, June. you're starting to start. You're trying to start the podcast, but I, That's I fine. forgot about. No, it's the end of June is when we moved here a year ago, so we're coming up on a year. Okay, is it good? Yeah, I mean it's it's I like I like living in New York, um, but it's a nice place. Um, the house is lovely like it's you just rent this house and it's like everything's cheaper and you know it's all the things that are good about not living in new york um financially speaking yeah um but you know we're i'm I'm locked indoors even if i lived in new york it's not like i'd be out running around you know like it doesn't matter where anybody is yeah so (laughs) so uh i mean i've been on i've i've had i've spoken to more people on zoom during the pandemic than I did. I think I've done like a hundred podcasts since the pandemic happened. And it took me three years to do a hundred podcasts. The first hundred, you know, it's like, it's just wild to all of the things that have happened as a result of this um, are just interesting to clock. But one of the things, um, Jenk, like we're, we're coming up on online SOCI. Um, our first, you know, SOCI's coming up. Yeah. Normally we do it in person. Um, and you've been somebody, we've played your music at SOCI. You've written pieces for our students to, to premiere at SOCI. Um, you've worked with So Percussion for, and I'll say it right here, Jenk, I'm not a fan of all of your music. I'll say it right to your face. <laughs> and anybody who maybe hasn't heard our first podcast, they, I don't care if yeah, they understand. I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of all members of So Percussion. That's fine. But, you know, you I, li- know. I like most of them. <laughs> we have a quorum. That's all, that's, that's all I care about. Um, but you, you're somebody whose music so has played for a long time. You're a friend of ours. I would consider you a friend of mine, um, despite my feelings on your your art. Um, but um, I would say you're an important voice in in the, my growth, just as a musician, but in terms of So's growth as a musician and the content we've given at Sosi. And your name came up the other day as like, oh my, we want to, you know, how are we gonna? It's easy to talk about your music when you're in the room. Like your music has such nuance, and there's like all of these there's a million different layers to it. It's like being in the room to hear all those subtleties is really crucial. And, but we feel like it's important. I want to talk to students about your music, (laughs) even though Mm -hmm. like over zoom, like I know how picky you are about your monitoring. So I'm assuming zoom's audio settings are not ideal for you. (laughs) So, but all of that said, I'm kind of curious just to pick your brain right now, Jenk, knowing what I know about you and the way you write music, the way you think about music, where has your head been since this lockdown started? Um, and how have you been thinking about how have you been thinking about let's try to maybe wall this off as a safe we don't have to talk about like pr- police brutality or you know racism or any of the the issues that are currently um the big ones in the world but i'm curious just as, from mm-hmm. an artist how and maybe those seep into your art making and i'll let you speak to that but how have you yeah. been thinking about you know your whole life leading up to this point was as an artist and a composer and now the world shut down and i will say for myself I've been wondering whether or not my life choices have been wise and what to do with them moving forward. So I'm curious for you, Jenk, how have you been thinking about this stuff? Well, you, you said something. I remember when the pandemic was really raging in New York. I mean, now it's raging in the rest of the U S but you said something about a, a sandcastle by, by the beach mm. as your, as, that that you'd built this and maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Well, I didn't. I didn't like. I didn't realize that the sandcastle I built 
was right on the edge of the water. Like you did right on the edge of the yeah. water. Yeah. That's a, that, that was very well put. I've always felt that way. I've, I, I feel, I feel like I've known that the sandcastle I built was on the edge of the water. And I never, I've never felt like I was quite able to build it, form it. I feel like always the waves come and eat away <laughs> at it, but I, I keep yeah. rebuilding it. Mm-hmm. So that in the, the pandemic hasn't changed that. Um, I became very sad and very worried, like everybody else, uh, about, well, people dying, mm-hmm. uh, uh, other people staying alive, but just having their lives turned upside down. And then, like everybody else, worrying about my family and, and friends and, and so on. But that aside, I found the pandemic and the lockdown and the psychology that that created a little exciting, mm. to be honest. How so? Uh, because it, it's like, you know, snow day or something. Snow day, but extended to two weeks and weeks. It's a snow quarter. Like, we've had a quarter of the year to just be snowed in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, well, all, all these things that, that regulate our lives are, are, uh, are, are now erased. The, the rules are... are are thrown out the window and, and everybody's is like trying to figure it out. And for me, that was kind of exciting because I feel like I, I spend my daily life in that mode anyway, but then I, I felt like everybody else was in that mode. So mm-hmm. I felt less lonely oh, in that wow. sense. Yeah. And I appreciated how, you know, sort of like, you know, in the States around Christmas time, everybody calls each other and checks up on each other at the end of at the year. You know, mm-hmm. even if you haven't talked to somebody for a whole year, you you make an effort to like call and, mm-hmm. and get together or something. And that's what was happening, right? Was that your experience? Like you you, you were checking up on your people, like where are they? What, what uh, are they doing? You mean at the end of the year or during the pandemic? During the pandemic. Yeah, like 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 I said, I think I've done a hundred podcasts, and it's not because I was like I'm going to do a lot of podcasts. It was it just felt like the only thing I could do. Like I talked with Gray about making something during you know he was he was very much a like not not a hands off, but like you can't force anything right now. Like what what are you trying to do? And I felt like I have no desire to make coronavirus music. I have no desire to write text about coronavirus and try to do it in some performative yeah. way. I have no desire to make steel drum art about, you know, COVID-19 or Donald Trump or any of the things going on. Yeah. The only thing I can do is press record on this thing and be like, hello. Like, that's all I could get out of my mouth in March. And, well, I think that's, that's And it helped. But it helped. Like, to me, that's like, it really felt like you're, you're right, this... I haven't checked in and the same, I would say the same thing happened with the, like, because we're locked in, like, like I said, I'm in Connecticut when the protests were all happening. Like I was never more, and I've been just been in contact with more people in my life since March than I have been in the 40 years leading up to it. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I'm sort of like now it's a little bit of that is lost almost Mm. that the first sort of emergency feeling uh, is gone with everybody. And I almost miss it. And actually in the States, especially it's, it's it's a necessary feeling still, mm. as we're seeing. Uh, we're right. We're wishing that people were still as freaked out about it as as they were a few months ago, mm-hmm. because it's not going well right now. Uh, another thing that I found was, I think a lot of other people felt this was it was impossible to focus on anything uh, for longer than thirty seconds. Uh, I, I stopped being able to read books. I've just now, now I can read again. Dude, me too. Like but, I just started reading a book yesterday and I, it felt yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Been, like it was amazing. On the first days I was, you know, I've been reading a book and I just like, I, I keep looking at it. I, I can't, my mind's wandering. I can't, you know, I, then I look at the news, I look at the book again. And then my son, you know, we're all home. And when you're home with an eight-year-old who's jumping around in a Pilates ball, traveling the whole apartment, it's already hard to focus on anything. But it was just, you know, the, the emotions of that moment. But one thing, you know, like everybody else, I wanted to reach out to everybody. And, and so I talked to a lot of people, but I also did make some music, uh, which is very, for, for me, it's not very characteristic because, uh, 
you know, I think some people said, you know, I'm just going to process this for a while. I'm not going to respond to this. I don't need to make art out of this. I don't need to mm-hmm. respond to it. It was my music. And mm-hmm. this, I, I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And when trage- tragedies of similar size have happened uh, in the States or in Turkey or in other ways that I care about, I've always, I've never directly addressed them with my music because I like to keep my music uh, abstract for, for one thing. I don't like to tell stories or, or give messages or mm-hmm. uh, things like that. I, uh, I feel like. Well, that's true. Cause I've gotten absolutely nothing from your music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I don't want to. Just I to be clear, to... I was joking. Any, everybody who's listening. Oh, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was going to take that as a compliment. I've gotten zero messages from you at all in all of your music. Well, that's, I try to give zero messages yeah. because I think, you know, uh, it's restrictive. Uh, once you try to attach a message to your to, to your uh, to your art, I think it restricts the possibilities of how it can be perceived. How do you deal with restriction? Or, I mean, how do you? This is something too. Like, it, I don't know how to ask the question. Like you, because I don't I don't know all of your music super duper well. But what I do know, of, it's like you know proximity. You did have a pretty strict restriction, which was F E E flat. Like now, maybe there was other things that you restricted yourself, but that was sort of the big picture guidepost, right? Like, and that I'm totally into restriction and limitation and, 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 you know, narrowing down the, mm. the, the material and, and sort of focusing it on, on one thing, you know, musically speaking. Yes. Do you feel like that sort of like, I mean, that's a form of structure in and of itself. Like you're giving yourself something to hang something on, right? Like you're, you're not, mm-hmm. you're not allowing yourself to cook with every spice. You're only allowed salt and pepper. Yeah. And, what can I know. do with these three notes? Right. And do you, but how do you feel like um, in moments like this, do you, where did you find your instincts going when you started making music again? You mentioned that you made some stuff like what, yeah. Wh- how did you start? Okay, how did I start? So it's it's very interesting. So this is, you know, let's try to keep this. This is going to be uh, a, a, a long-winded kind of answer because, and everybody else felt this, uh, the, the virus uh, feeling of emergency was one thing until uh, the George Floyd killing and then, uh, right after that, the protests started happening. The virus started feeling completely irrelevant and and not important. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, uh, at least whether it was least, or not is another story. But it definitely felt that way. Like there was, yeah, it was, we, it was I mean, wild we forgot see. about, yeah, we forgot about the virus. I forgot about the virus. It didn't seem uh, important, even though it's it wasn't taking a break and it was still there and, and all that. So with something like that. I found that much harder. I find that much harder to respond to in the moment in, in an artistic way. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have the capacity or the position to do so. I could. I could not possibly give a relevant uh, or helpful message uh, with what I do musically. It feels stupid. Um, in the same way with, you know, when 9-11 happened, uh, I, it never crossed my mind to, to respond to that with my music mm-hmm. uh, directly. Of course, you respond to it because you're alive in that moment and you're living through it. And, and the music that you make afterwards is going to come out uh, differently than if you had not experienced this tragedy. Uh, but, you know, if you look at the examples of, of pieces of music made about 9-11, they're all terrible. Uh, none of them can come uh, close to depicting the, the, the or, or, or responding in a meaningful meaningful way to the tragedy that happened. So I would never try. Um, having said that, th- during the pandemic, this feeling of the need to reach out and check up on your people and the need to connect, all of a sudden we can see each other, all of a sudden we can go to concerts, and I'm imagining all my friends, including you guys, stopping their livelihood of, of, of giving concerts. And that just felt terrible. And I, you know, Italy is a culture and country very close to my heart because my grandmother was Italian. Um, and I, you know, at, during the first days of the pandemic, Italy was one of the hardest hit countries, you know, hundreds of people dying every day. And we're watching that all day. And like everybody else, I saw some 
very touching videos of Italians singing to each other from mm -hmm. from balconies, and that really, you know, I, that brought me to tears, uh, and that gave me the idea to uh, to communicate with, you know, they were communicating with each other through, you know, from balcony to balcony. I'm like, how can I do that? How can I communicate with my people through sound? Mm -hmm. So I got the idea to. And at the same time, I was still trying to make music for myself just to keep some sanity. I was trying to still just hear some sounds because I have to do that. Otherwise, I go crazy. Mm -hmm. So my son's here, you know, jumping on the ball. My wife's working on the phone constantly. So I have to entertain my son. I'm watching the news. But, you know, if I get a half a minute, I would go and like play some things uh, on my computer and listen and, and record. So I started recording these sort of 30-second, one-minute-long phrases. I couldn't do any longer because there was no time or the space of mind to develop a musical idea. Mm -hmm. you know. But I would just sort of spit something out and record that. Next day, I would spit another thing out. So I got all these like 30-second chunks. Of Did you sound. edit them or was it just like unedited, minute-long, 30-second Unedited, chunks? just things. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with them. Okay. But finally, I said, you know what? I want to send one of these sounds i liked one to my music friends and and i asked them to listen to it and respond to it and send me a sound back if they're in the right headspace to do so and i wanted to keep the <clears throat> my request very simple and very relaxed because mm -hmm. i was very stressed out right. i knew everybody else was stressed out and i knew nobody was able to focus so i said you know if you can do this, if you feel like you want to do this, listen to it or don't listen to it, you know, but send me a sound. It could be you responding to my sound or it could be just you recording whatever sounds you're hearing out your window uh, and send it back to me. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it. But once I started doing that, I mean, it was, it was a way of saying hello. More, most importantly, it wasn't about making music. Mm -hmm. uh, in the process of doing that, sending that sound to people, I'm like, you know, how are you doing? I miss you. Uh, too bad I didn't get to see you before the lockdown, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I had these conversations. I reached out to about 50 people, 50 mus musician friends, and I, I got to talk to all of them. And uh, 40 of them actually sent a sound back. I'm gonna, Full disclaimer here, Jank. I'm just going to own up that I was one of the 10 that didn't respond back. I think when I got yes. it, there was... Um, I mean, it's not an excuse. I didn't respond. I should have. I would love to have, but like, I think you know what? I, well, no, I, I know you're not no, asking. Yeah. I know that you don't. I know you didn't ask, and you don't care. But I, you know, it, it's I, a success I, without you. <laughs> in spite of, I mean, in spite of me, in lieu of me, it was a success. No, no, no. But but it, just to say, like, I I definitely when I got that, I saw that, and I I immediately was like, damn it, I know I'm not going to respond to this. I feel sorry, Jank. You know, we'll talk That's later, and I and I just didn't. So. Um, but, uh, That's totally fine, and I have full respect for 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 people who did not respond. And I didn't. I knew that it wasn't. Not not everybody was going to be in the frame of mind to do so. Uh, but and to my surprise, actually, more people than I thought mm -hmm. were kindly uh, kindly responded. Some the next day, some three weeks later, mm -hmm. you know. And it was amazing because I got to visit. So I sent people a, like about a 50-second long sound, and most people kept to that duration. Most of them were listening to the sound that I sent as, I, as they were recording theirs. So I got these one-minute long recordings from 40 different people, from people from Germany, from, from Turkey, and from the States, uh, all over the States. Uh, not all over, but you know, places I've lived and made friends. Um, and it was, I got to visit everybody in their house. Mm. Uh, and I felt like I was listening, you know, and it was, these were very intimate recordings because they were not produced. Most of them were done on their, on the phone. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about amazing musicians, you know, like members of soul percussion, members of Jack Quartet. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, unbelievable other, other cellists, drummers, trumpet players that are, mm -hmm all of them world-class players that that gave me these beautiful sounds. And, you know, it was very easy then to say, okay, I'm going to put these together to make a piece of music mm. that's longer than a minute. Um, so, 
and that it was just such joy. And I, I did that. Uh, you know, even just sending, exchanging these emails kept me sane. And then putting those sounds together uh, uh, in a period of a week or so it was relatively easy. Because I don't, I don't want to gloss over. Sorry to interrupt, Jenk, but I, 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 um, yeah. you've said it a few times. Things like san, like sanity, like this kept me sane. And you mentioned early on the sort of psychological effect of what isolation can do to people. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we can go the route of like, you know. Um, um, isolation in a prison and what that does psychologically to people. But like yeah. right, right now, I mean, I feel like I mentioned to Stephanie the other day, I said, you're the only person I've touched since March 5th. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I, not even in a sexual way, it's just a, like, you're the only person I've hugged. And since March 5th, and I'm a person, I'm someone who likes to hug. I like to shake hands. Yeah. It's how I, I it's love not, shaking hands. It's not how I, ju- well, it is how I judge people. It's how I first, like if someone has a really weak handshake, to me, that oh, says, definitely. oh, I need to work with them on commitment. Like, And whether or Absolutely. not that's true, that's a judgment I'm making. But yeah. I, no, it says I a lot about whether or not somebody is willing to do, to give a hug. Um, whether or not a man isn't willing to give another man a hug is a big thing to me. Like, that's there's a there's – a, sure. like, anyway, I read things like that. And I have had a big part of my – like the days I've been curled up on the couch, completely non-functional – have yeah, been because sure. I, I think psychologically I really need that. I can't not have it. Yeah. Like I am not willing. That's a part of me. I'm not willing to let go. And absolutely. It took this pandemic for me to realize. And it's anyway, it's just like, you keep mentioning sanity for you in these moments of like, how yeah, do you like I being think everybody, everybody, everybody got tested with their sanity, didn't they? I mean, I already yeah. have a, a, a sort of a pretty fragile uh, psychological makeup. Me too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but this tested it further. I was lucky I'm to to be with my family, with yeah. my wife and my son, so I didn't feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you do feel the need to interact with people who are not your family. But I think my you know the the main thing that tested my sanity was just the terror of of so many people dying, and mm-hmm. you know I was thinking about my parents and, and things like that, like everybody, and then just watching the healthcare workers uh, all over the world going through what they, what they did. It was just, it was just terrorizing. Did you have anybody that you knew that passed away of COVID or uh, something I, related? A friend, a friend lost a parent, uh, uh-huh. a few, uh, you know, Elaz, my wife's coworkers, mm-hmm. uh, and, and lost their, uh, parents and things like that. But nobody, no, I did not lose a friend, mm-hmm. thankfully to, mm-hmm. to the virus. How about you? Uh, uh, early on, like when, when right after the lockdown happened and like they were, you know, it was clear people were going to start dying. Like, um, there was, there's a gentleman named Martin Douglas who is, he, he ran one of the big steel bands in Brooklyn that I worked with a lot in Crossfire. And he was sort of, he was the guy that owned it. And he was, he was like Mm -hmm. the, the figurehead of that, the paternal figurehead of that band. And, um, Mm -hmm. and he got, he's of the demographic, um, and got it and, and passed away. And I was on a podcast with uh, a Trinidadian friend of mine who knew him really well. And we both got texts at the same time, like live on the podcast. It was oh, like man. super, it, but it's just like all of the dystopian. I mean, my wife has had to do zoom funerals. Yeah. And yeah. you know, our, some friends of ours um, had their, their, their two year old son passed away of a freak seizure, like not even COVID related and had to do all the services on zoom. Like this is Stephanie's best, you know, the hardest. So, but, but again, a reason I asked the question, it's not to say that like anybody's tragedy is better or worse, but, but the thing Mm -hmm. is, I think this trauma, I think the psychological um, dismembering or disassembling of the way we, we, I mean, every decision I made for 15 years in so percussion was, or everything I made decision I made in my life was based around this idea. I travel, I commute, I play in so percussion. And that means I'm, on concert halls everywhere. Every piece of clothing I bought was like, is this going to be comfortable on a plane? You know, like all of the things. And now all of a sudden I have to make decisions completely differently. I'm home now all the time. I've been home now more since March than I have been in the last 15 years. It's just true. It's true. Like, and that's fucked up. That's really weird. That's just a, that's a data point that is hard to swallow. And when I, when I think of like what to say to students at SOCI or like, how to prepare them moving forward. 
I keep coming back to the, like, I don't know. I'm going back to square one. So you're welcome to come there yeah. with me. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Square one, it's I scary. Think, I think know? that's better. I think that's better than saying, you know, here's what I figured out and here's what we should be doing. Because I think nobody has the answer. And I don't, I'm not in a haste to, to figure out a new way of doing things mm. in this period of time. Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, we've all tried. Uh, to to communicate and to produce uh, material with lots of you know split screen videos and and things like this and and I think they've they've been great but <clears throat> we know that they're not the answer and they're not going to replace like you know what we live for which is live music uh, so I'm not in a hurry to 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 find a find a solution or, or a replacement. And I think if I were a student of Soci, I'd rather have you say to me, I don't know, but let's make some music in the best way we can right now. Mm. Uh, yeah. you know, I'd rather hear that than... For me, the the square one, like going back to square one, and I and I, I kind of want to ask you, like, if there's anything, maybe not even music related, that you've had this, it could be parenting, it could be anything. Like, for me, like when I said before... <clears throat> when every precedent in my life was stripped away by the pandemic, I, the only thing I knew how to do was press record on a podcast thing. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I knew how to do that and it was easy. There was comfort. Like I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about, I'm just talking. I don't have to prepare, you know, I'm not going to have questions mm -hmm. ahead of time. Um, and it was a way of me just like, what's my base? Like what's my lowest common denominator where I can just put my shoes on and get out the door in the morning, you know? And mm -hmm. for me, that's what it was. And I, I, you know, for marimba players, I don't know what that means for composers. Like if you're a composer who's lost, I mean, for you, you improvised, I mean, with proximity, like the way you generated material. Can you talk about that for a second? Like what are square one right now? You mentioned about the one minute sort of pieces you were doing, but like when yeah. you generate material, how do you start that? Let's say we're not in the pandemic and Jenk Aragoon is like, Hey, I'm feeling great. Have my coffee. I'm going to write a piece of music. Like you, you're not yeah. going to have that deep South accent. I kind of hinted at there, but what, 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 uh, I, 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 you know, that's more Ohio, baby. but like what, what, uh, what, um, how do you start generating material? It, it happens in a, in a, a few different ways. I mean, proximity now that that was, I started composing that 15 years ago yeah, now. Yeah. It, it took me a few years to, to, com to compose it, and it, by the time it was premiered, it was 2008 or nine. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my first time working with, uh, you know, composing not with pencil and paper, but with the computer. So I was very excited about just being able to improvise on a MIDI keyboard and record that into the computer. Which was relatively new at the time, right? Like that was a newish thing then, in terms of how the ubiquity with which composers were using it. I mean, yeah, maybe. I no, I was kind of late to it actually. Really? I think yeah, I think, you know, like late 90s, I think people were already starting to do that. I guess so maybe I, I'm I'm grafting my own use of technology. Like I guess I just never really got the only reason I got even equated with Symf or uh uh, comfortable with MIDI is because of Dan Truman, but like I never really learned about or did much with it until like 2012 or 13 like it just felt like yeah. like there weren't a lot of people there were still a lot of pen and paper even though you may have come to it late my perception was that there was still a lot more pen and paper when still, I yeah you know yeah in, in I mean yeah now 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 it's harder to find yeah. pen and paper uh, than it was then uh, but improvisation has always been a big part of my compositional process mm. uh, I'm not saying that improvisation and composition are the same thing some people believe that I don't believe that at all uh, Why? Because composition. How would you define well, the composition? Uh, it, with improvisation, I think no matter how smart you are with it and how 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 much you practice it, you are relying on uh, a set of tools that you've developed that will help you be spontaneous uh, and respond to things spontaneously. Uh, and the thing is, you're doing it in the moment and you have to, in order to be a successful improviser, you have to be listening to that very moment. Mm -hmm. If you're playing solo, you're listening to the room 
and to everybody in the audience and how things are sounding in the room. Mm -hmm. If you're playing with other people, you know, uh, a, a teacher of mine who, whom I love, Alvin Curran, told me this once, and I never forget it, listening. Oh, I think I even mentioned this in the last podcast. Listening is more important than playing. Mm -hmm. um, when improvising, this is absolutely the case. So uh, these are the priorities there. And you're going to, you're going to, no matter what you have, you, you fall uh, back on your set of tools that you've acquired over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that can help you survive the moment. With composition, you're composing the moment, but you have months, or if you want years, to compose that moment. You and but and you're imposing this predetermined structure onto the live concert situation. So you don't necessarily sometimes you know which hall and which group you're perform you're writing for, mm -hmm. but sometimes you don't know, and the piece is the same. So you're going to impose that preformed structure onto a new situation, a new concert hall and a new group um, as a composer. And every moment, I mean, the, my experience of composing, and this is true for a lot of composers, is uh, you can spend hours and hours working on a second long uh, moment in, in your music. You don't have that chance when you're improvising. A second long music happens. It takes a second to make. Right, right. So I think it's it's a very different way of making music. That doesn't mean that improv. You know, improvisation can be compositional. You can think compositionally when improvising, and also you can, you know, uh, vice versa. Improvisation can play a big role in composition. So those two worlds have always affected each other for me. Mm. Uh, I develop original material by improvising uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the times mm -hmm. for, for, for my music. Uh, but then I, I shape it and I strip it away and I, you know, uh, I, I layer it against itself and, and, and so on. Or I organize it in time uh, in a more systematic way, not just an intuitive way uh, to make a composition. And I think mm -hmm. it's a very different thing. And I, and this is one of the reasons I don't really like to hear recordings of improvised music mm. uh, because I feel like you have to be there for it to work. Mm. I, I absolutely enjoy all kinds of improvised music at live in a concert, but I, I rarely listen to recordings of improvised music. I've released them even. And I'm like, why did I release that? It doesn't sound. <laughs> yeah. Li improvised performances are something um, that's just a world I, I, I don't know enough about. Uh, and I've had, mm -hmm. I don't think I've had enough good experiences and I don't think I've been in good enough. I mean, the, the yourself present company and so percussion excluded. I've, I've been lucky enough to have those experiences with. So, but I just haven't had enough at bats and good improvisational situations to know up, yeah. up from down in terms of like, there are structures inherent in, in improvs too that aren't always spoken about. And there's signals that when somebody does something by and large, most of the room understands what is about to happen or, you know, there's, there, there are crutches and tools within that too, that people you can read and get better at reading. And it's just something I'm not super, super adept at, but um, I'm curious when you talk about music, your, your own music wanting to be abstract um, versus about something. I mean, those are two sort of yeah. broad brushes to paint with, but what would you say to a student? I mean, because when I think about crutches and tools by which to generate material, you know, calamitous events are a great way to at least feel like you're able to start generating material because you don't have to derive the emotion from it, right? Like you, you, or at least you don't feel like you have to. It's there, and you say can, it again. What is a great way to generate music? Um, or at least you got cut out. Sorry, initially, a great way to generate music is to respond to something calamitous in the environment or something amazing, uh -huh. like you know, a rainbow yeah. or the death yeah. of your dog, you know, or a parent or yeah. a loved one. I mean, I'm listen, I wrote pieces about my father, I understand what music about something is, but what do you mm -hmm. say to a student? Like, say you have a student who comes to you and is like, I really want to write, write this piece. How do you guide someone through that conversation? I mean, this is a th something you've thought long and hard about. You have very strong feelings as to why you feel that way. How do you speak to a student? So a student comes to me and says, I want to write about something. Yeah, or I ha that's how I want to make music. Not, not that I don't think you would discourage them, but like, how, uh -huh. would, you, how would you help them yeah. figure that, that track out in life? Well, I was just talking to Jesse Marino uh, yesterday. Okay who's a, a cellist and composer who's uh, in the new, active in the New York scene for a long time, and she's in Berlin now, and she's brilliant. And 
her work often in, comes from a, a storytelling place mm. or, or, or a thematic place. And I was saying, you know, I really admire that because I don't know, I love stories, but I think it's so difficult to tell a good story. Uh, and she was saying, you know, I, I, I feel like that's easy for me, but I don't know how to make music uh, or it's difficult for me to make music that's just about sound. And now that's an area hmm. I'm exploring. Hmm. Um, I, you know, if a student said, I want to do this, I'd, I'd say, go for it. Uh, if, and if they're, if, you know, but I don't know if, if I'd be a great teacher in helping them uh, do that because I don't feel like sounds can tell a story. Uh, you can impose a story on sounds that you hear. Absolutely. And everybody does, including myself. But I don't know how, how ever sounds tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, they, they certainly create emotions mm-hmm. in us. Uh, music, the, you know, the work, you know, music making is, is, is the work of creating emotions. That's for sure. But I don't think those emotions are always describable by words. And if, if words were enough to describe them, we wouldn't need the music. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Drew Daniel gave a talk at Soci a couple of years ago and, and with mm-hmm. Martin, and there were two things. I'm going to get one of them wrong. He said something, recipe does not equal cake, and intention does not equal emotion. Like what you, mm-hmm. just because you've got this recipe down, like I, I do this, 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 and this, that doesn't mean that on the other end sure. you're going to have the thing you thought you were going to have. And just because your intention, like for me, I'll use my example, my intention to write a piece about my father dying and what that meant to me, there's no way I can make everybody in the room feel that same intention because they haven't had that same experience. And so for me to, if that's the only premise upon which I'm hoping people receive my art, that's an inherently flawed position for me to be in. Now, I can I can acknowledge that and decide to do it anyway and not care. Sure. But right. I have to acknowledge that not everybody in the room is going to feel the same way about my dad dying as I do. And right. that's tricky. Right. That's a hard path to walk as an artist. I think you said it. I take it for, I just assume that you don't have to make an extra effort. If your dad has died and you want to respond to this with your music, you don't have to make an extra effort because your dad has died and you've lived through that. And now when you make music, you're that person whose father has passed away. So it's going to be music already affected by that, informed by that. I think in some way, one way or another, it's audible in there. You're going to make musical choices that you otherwise perhaps would have not because you've gone through that experience. So I don't feel like I need to, uh, of course, I mean, every artist's work is relative to, related to to their own life and their experiences in the world that, and the time that they're living in. Uh, and unless you're going to use words, though, you know, lyrics and, and, and create songs, I don't feel like an extra effort is needed to, to try to describe emotions or, or give messages with, with frequencies and vibrations in the air. I'm I mean, just going to stop you here. Jank, and I'm going to call bullshit on something you said a minute ago when you said you don't think you'd be a good teacher. I think what you just said is amazing advice for a student. Are you kidding me? You'd be an amazing teacher, Jank. Well, I, <laughs> you silly I goose. Okay. No, no, I'd be a good teacher, but I wouldn't be a good teacher specifically for someone who said to me, you know, I want to write, I want to tell stories with my music. How can I best do that? My answer would be this. You don't have to do anything extra. Don't worry about it. And I don't know if that's helpful. I don't think it's unhelpful. I think that's amazing because here's the thing. They're, Folks will, if they do it enough, folks will learn how that can be successful or not. I have done enough, I mean, in my little sliver of experience with what it means to write narrative-based text and performance, I've done enough to know the 90% of the time when it absolutely is a train wreck, (laughs) it sucks, Mm -hmm. and does not Mm -hmm. work, I know when I'm headed down that path. I've just had four more at-bats than most people, you know? And I've had very yeah. few at bats, actually, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I think, but I've learned. I've realized it took me. It took me having to do it a bunch to realize. Oh, there's a reason people aren't laughing or crying at this spot like I am. 
<laughs> it's because I haven't yeah. done a good yeah. job bringing them there, you know. Yeah, and, it's a much more vulnerable position. If you're yeah. trying to get things right and create specific, precise reactions from the audience and create specific emotions, I think it's much more difficult and you're much more vulnerable because you're, you're attempting, attempting a clear goal. That's why I find storytelling very difficult and I'm, I'm like, I'm not brave enough to attempt it. You know, because when I, when I say this, this is what I'm doing is just about sounds. Enjoy and feel whatever you want to feel. That releases all, uh, I'm not responsible but, for but, if it, if, yeah, but if I, it that works. That makes or, me feel more, that I feel more vulnerable in that world than I do standing on stage reading yeah. a text. That's my point. Like I, I learn from it, but, but when I walk in an improvisational setting or I walk in a kitchen, I have deep, deep anxiety because I feel like everybody's judging me. I know everybody isn't. I feel like they are. My feelings aren't proof of anything. Well, but, everybody but, is judging you. Well, yeah. y- yes, but like I'm saying, like <laughs> judging me as like a good or a bad person. Like, like I, I take it there yeah. first. Like, you know, if I do the speeding up or slowing down je- gesture or something, Jenk is never going to talk to me again. That's where my head goes. Even though I know that's not a rational thing to think, it's just it's just how I feel. You know, um, but it's interesting to me. Like when you, it's interesting to me, and I don't know why why you feel safer in a world where there's so much freedom and we're only dealing with like a very specific thing than you are in a world where we're dealing with things where everybody understands what you're saying, which are words or a story. Like people glom onto stories easier. Um, you know, you can do a, you can do a project about, you know, abstract art about the history of slavery in the United States and never say a single word. And you could do it in such an abstract way. People might not even know what you're talking about, but if you say slavery mm-hmm. one, one time, mm-hmm. everybody is going to think everything you've done is in relation to that. And everybody's going to, okay, you've said slavery, and now you have to make a, a relevant, mm-hmm. valuable point. Right. And everybody's listening. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Even so me saying it in this podcast, I'm sure anybody listening to yeah. it was like, what? You know, like, like, like and okay. that's what happens on stage, you know. And you're very accountable. Right. You have to make sense. Mm-hmm. You have to organize your thoughts in a way that makes sense to people. They can follow and they're not bored. Mm-hmm. And they learn something from it. And maybe there's a surprise. Maybe that there's something they hadn't thought of. You're responsible and accountable for all these things. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's, that's very stressful to me. <laughs> Whereas I can be like, look, man, this is just sound. Don't worry <laughs> about it. You know, like, what did it mean? What is it about? Nothing. Whatever you want it to be. That's much easier. It's almost yeah. like, a, 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 what do you call, say, copping out? Well, yeah, or, but, it, but I, think it's, I think the words can feel that way. Again, my feelings of it aren't proof. What I, I used to feel that way when people would say that to me. I used to feel that way. I used to have that same reaction of like, really, really, you know, but the truth is, is it's a language like anything else. You get better at it just because I don't understand Cyrillic doesn't mean Russian isn't, isn't a language that people speak and can get along with fluently with each other, you know? And I think improvisation in the same way that, you know, a way drumming from Ghana or composition or whatever is just a language I haven't spoken that much, you know? Um, and that's why yeah. I feel insecure there. I think that's where I'm, I'm saying mm-hmm. I don't, I'm terrified because I don't speak. I know how to say hello and where's the bathroom <laughs> in that language. Yeah. And I say it with a terrible yeah. accent. And so everybody's like, oh, that guy, you know, when I walk in the improv. Well, impro- but hold on. Improvisation is not a language. It's a method of speaking a language. I think there are many languages of improvisation, mm. right? There are many kinds of improvisation in different musical cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's jazz improvisation. There is uh, uptight new music uh, experimental (laughs) improvisation. That might be where most of my experience has come from, just to be clear. So I'm trying to uh, notice my own baggage here. Yeah. No, I mean, I I have that baggage too. Uh, And then, you know, there's improvisation in in, uh, a lot of Middle Eastern music uh, built into a song structure or a Mm -hmm. concert structure. You introduce, and you know, even also in classical music, which we now tend to think of as written down, notated, strict music, uh, there was a lot more room in the past for improvisation than there is now. Uh, yeah, most of Bach's or, or stuff maybe, was just a lead sheet. Yeah, for or you know, Couperin uh, uh, harpsichord works, or you know, figure bass, and, and you know, preludes and. 
you know, the idea of a prelude is, is also uh, existent in Turkish music, where you introduce a composition with uh, an improvisation in, this, in the mode in which that composition was written. Really? So, is that, what style of Turkish music is that common? That's classical Turkish music uh, that's been around for hundreds of years or thousands of years, and it's called taksim. Sorry, say, you, you cut, up, you cut out there for a second. Can you say that one more time? The, the word is taksim. Taksim. How do you spell T-A-K, that? T-A-K-S-I-M. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's a, a form of music. I think the equivalent in, in the West is prelude. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, a lots, of, lots of preludes were improvised, mm-hmm. uh, uh, introducing the main composition. Uh, and this is an opportunity for the performer to come to the foreground and not the composer. Mm. The, the performer shows their ability to and their fluency in that mode and with their instrument. Uh, while introducing the composition, they get to show off a little bit with their with their That's, moment of improvisation. I'm, I'm I'm asking these questions from complete ignorance here, so please don't laugh right in my face. But um, like, does it have any relationship to um, like the preludes from the Bach cello suites, for example? Like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, like, I've played a few of them on marimba. The preludes mm-hmm. are usually just like not always, but cycling through all the chord changes telling you what it's like it's like you know when you're writing a five paragraph essay it's like i'm going to tell you what i'm going to tell you and then the rest of the dances yeah. are like i'm going to tell you i told you and then at the end it's like yeah. here's what i told you you know and the, yeah, pre- the, exactly. the prelude yeah. is often that way in bach cello suites i'm just i'm just asking out of ignorance is there like is there a relationship there or is the turkish history of it just completely it's I, I think it's the same exact thing okay here's what how here's how it's going to go and it's going to be in this mode and here are the kinds of things that i'm going to do hmm. For a few minutes, you do that, and and people get a sense of the performer, not just the composition. Maybe they already know the composition. You need to write preludes the- for your music, Jink. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> What's the prelude for snares? For snares, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you need to write little preludes that just feature the uh, feature the four of us rather than us like <laughs> having to hold four bass drum mallets trying to play really fast four mallets. <laughs> The prelude is just you standing up with those mallets and standing silently, I think, for a while. Uh, well, that's fa- that's really fascinating. I I'm, I had no idea. That's really cool. Um, I mm-hmm. need to have you come back to, and talk to Sosi Kids just about the history of, you know, what you know about Turkish music. Um, that's all I had. So Oh, well, good. It'll be quick. It'll be a quick in and out, five-minute pop-in, <laughs> tell your piece, and you can go. Um, but that's really cool. Um, well, what? Yeah. go ahead. Sorry, you were going to say something? I have been, I've been thinking more and more about uh, Turkish music because la- for the, you know, for the past ten years I've been really interested in, in intonation mm-hmm. uh, and and working, you know, with microtonality, but specifically uh, in the context of just intonation, which deals with the harmonic series and the relationships between the harmonics of of different fundamentals. Um, and working with different tuning systems, building scales out of uh, out of uh, harmonic relationships. You know, harmon- when I say harmonic, I mean overtones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and working in this way, I, I have discovered what's been obvious to many others: many relationships between Western music and Western. Uh, Melodic structures, harmonic structures, uh, and, and Turkish and Middle Eastern uh, music, there's, there's a lot of overlap. And uh, there are bridges that were built uh, hundreds or if not thousands of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's, that's been very interesting to me because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had training in the Western classical tradition. Uh, this is the training, uh, musical training I started in Turkey. I did not study Turkish music. I heard it, mm-hmm. I listened to it, I knew it, but I never studied it. Uh, so I'm now learning it almost from a Western perspective. I have it in my blood and my ears, but my brain that's learning it is is a uh, Western classically trained uh, brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been amazing to see these uh, the, these similarities or connections, and I'm reading this 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 book uh, now, who my friend Cleek Shray recommended to me is called "A Division of the Tetrachord," which uh, traces 
uh, uh, I can send you a link. It's 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 on the it's on a website. The whole book is, mm-hmm. um, but it it's it's talking about the the relevance and the significance of the tetrachord and and the role it's played in ancient Greek music, ancient, ancient Middle Eastern and and and, and Arabic and Turkish. Uh, music and the way that uh, these uh, structures have played a role in the evolution of, of, of Western music to until today, basically. Mm-hmm. And at some point there, it talks about Pythagoras uh, actually bringing the diatonic scale, the idea of the diatonic scale to Greece, to ancient Greece. We're talking about uh, 2,000, uh, 3,000 years ago. Mm-hmm from Egypt or somewhere in the Middle East where they already had the notion of the diatonic scale yeah. and, and, and Pythagoras discovering this and, and bringing it to ancient Greece. He's also just, you know, responsible for discovering the uh, idea of harmonics and that, you know, yeah. that the string length is, is uh, proportional to the frequency it, it, it produces and things like this. So well, we owe a lot. Pythagoras is a big, um, he's a big name in the steel band world because of like the, the, the lead pan is literally set up in the, in the Pythagorean circle of fifths. Sure. And sure. the way harmonics interact on steel drums, like there, people who build steel drums are very aware of the math and all of that stuff behind yeah. the Pythagorean. Sure. All that stuff. And, 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 you know, back in that day, if you, if you look at a map of where, Pythagoras lived is 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 ancient Greece. Uh, it's it's now Greece, but it's also bordering uh, Turkey. And and if you go a little east, it's Iran, Iraq, mm-hmm. Syria, uh, uh, and all these places. If you go a little south, it's North Africa. So there was a lot of cross pollination yeah. in these in these worlds and in these music, and they're all informed by each other. And when you go back a little further and go back to the fundamentals of of, of, of sound, uh, meaning fundamental. When I say fundamentals, like how frequencies relate to each other and how are, can they be understood in mathematical terms, uh, these connections between different musical cultures become very, very clear and obvious. Mm. So it's been sort of interesting to discover that. I think about your music a lot when I think of. Um you know, when people talk about harmonies being rhythms and what it means. And, and I hear some people are like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, good, you know, good point. It's just like, let's get past that. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hold on a second. Like, hold on a second. <laughs> like, ha- you've never stood next to an organ and played the low yeah. pedal C and then played the fifth above it. And you've never heard blah, da, ga, da, blah, da, ga, da. You've never heard that? That doesn't register yeah. to you at all as something fundamental in what we do? And and I, not that you, I, I, I'm not implying here that like you, you're necessarily like in your, in your music being like, this is where I'm playing the rhythm of the minor sixth. Like that's not yeah. what you're thinking, but you do think of rhythm on this very sub, uh, conscious level, something that goes by in this way that if you squint at it, it, it's, it's like a smooth plane. But as soon as you get close to it, you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's like, you know, looking under a telescope, you know, one of those electron microscopes, like you realize how much is going on on the surface of a piece of paper, you know? Yeah. I mean, what you just said is, I, I think I, that's, that's my religion. I mean, it's like, I don't separate rhythm and, and, and frequency. They're, they're, they're one and the same thing. Uh, so I literally, I mean, yeah, literally. So, yeah, literally. I mean, you, you know, when you have a rhythm and it gets uh, fast enough, it, it becomes pitch. This is it's, it's like this this very basic physics fact. Uh, so I don't think of them separately. And when I'm composing, I'm not I'm not I'm never like, okay, I got this cool chord. What rhythm is it going to have? You know, they it, it comes as a package. The right. instrument, the dynamic, the and the rhythm, and 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 or everything is it's it's one thing. It's not. Uh, separable. Yeah. Have you heard there's, there's a, the, that, that organization make music New York. Um, yeah, of course. A couple years ago they did something with Doug Perkins and Amy Garapek, I think was part of it. And they, they were at the top of, they started at the top in Inwood in Manhattan. One person Mm -hmm. had a bass drum. One person had a snare drum, a marching snare drum. And they just, Mm -hmm. they, they had on click and they marched from Inwood all the way down to battery park. It took them six hours and they just played along with the click. 
like they had to hit the drum every time there was a click, right? And so for six hours, it's just these two people walking through Manhattan playing polyrhythms against each other, you know, six over two, three over two. And it's just bet, bet, get out. Like for six hours, right? And so they get down oh there, they God. take the whole recording and they speed it up so that it takes a minute to play. And what you get is a Christmas carol. What? This Be- is how they planned it? Yeah. And so when you speed oh up that God. rhythm, it, it plays a Christmas carol because they figured out the notes mm-hmm. you need in that amount of time. It's just ratios, it's just math. And yeah. again, it's like yeah. that is a super nerdy thing to do. I'm not so sure I want to use six yeah. hours of my life like that. You'll never get it back. But. <laughs> It's kind of rad. That's kind of cool that you yeah. that that yeah. works. You know, I'm glad somebody did it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to do it, but I'm glad somebody yeah. did. You know, well, Jank, I um, I'm really grateful for your time. We've been talking for about an hour now, and I will. It's nine. It's probably now ten o'clock in Germany for you. Yep. Um, I'm grateful for your time, bro. I I am grateful for anybody. Thanks for having me, Josh. Anybody who gives me their time during, especially this insane moment in our, our humanity, um, I'm grateful for, and it's not lost on me. So, um, I appreciate your, appreciate your time. Is there any place where folks can check out what you're working on now? The one minute project that you, that you did, is it up anywhere? Well, that did, see did, yes, that did get finalized. It's on Bandcamp. Okay. Uh, the, the piece ended up being called Amore Vieni, which means come my love mm-hmm. in, in Italian. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know how to, Give my Bandcamp web page. I'll find it. Address. I'll find it easily. I'll just link it to the podcast. Um, but it's there as as an album, and if you, you know, it's free to listen. But if you want to pay money, the 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 money goes to New Music Solidarity Fund. Hmm. What uh, is that? Some people have supported it. It's a it's a fund created for uh, performing musicians who have lost all their gigs, but, and it's been created by New Music USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was able to just humbly raise a little bit of money for musicians through that. Um, but you know, you don't have to pay. But if you feel like it, that's where the money will go. Okay. Um, but I hope people will check it out. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll send and them. I, I think we're going to be talking about this at SOSI, This piece. Good. Jason was talking to me about that so well good i'm glad well then I, and i'm really glad that's one of the reasons i want to talk to you i think uh, we're going to post this i hope so students get a chance to you know I, it's always hard especially now that we're not doing it in person like if folks can students aren't going to get to meet you and talk to you and like get to know who yeah. you are just over dinner that's or better whatever. you know it's keep the keep the mystique so, you know, when you meet <laughs> well, me in, in person it, it all dissolves it's a problem <laughs> Well, I, I think this will be a good primer for that discussion. If folks can watch this, they'll have a little bit more context behind what it is that you all talk about. Oh, this is going to be watched. I'm glad I wore a shirt. You look fantastic. I'm the one who looks like a homeless Thank person, you. dude. I look like a schlub. Hey. You look great. You look like you. Hey, one last thing I wanted to yeah. say. What was interesting about to me uh, about Amora Vieni? I I didn't. I did this completely. This came to my mind. This idea, but very quickly I discovered lots of other people doing the same kind of piece mm-hmm. exactly exchanging sounds or requesting sounds from each other one is drew from Matmos, and he you know i sent personal emails to people he did it on twitter and of course he's got like a major following so he got like six thousand sounds i think okay. and like did the piece so you should check this piece out and and that should be a part of the conversation with your students there's also charmaine lee i i wonder if you're familiar with with her Mm-mm. An amazing I, I know of her, but I don't know. Yeah, vocalist, composer, improviser in New York. She did a similar thing, but she kind of she kind of wins because she asked her friends for the sounds and didn't compose. She just put them up as tracks. You know, she didn't touch them. So I think that's a much more selfless, uh, graceful thing to do. Uh, but she, I think, you know, she must have felt the same need to hear her friends' sounds yeah. from their homes. So that's also on Bandcamp. And I know there's multiple other ones. So it was very interesting to me that many people had the same instinct to do this almost, almost same exact thing. I, it'll be interesting to look back on the rings of our, um, our tree to go back and listen to podcasts. I did when the coronavirus first hit, mm-hmm. um, just to look at ourselves as like, we are not exempt from evolution we're not we are not snapshots every day we are on a spectrum of changing for the better the worse some days i'm two steps forward and some days i'm three steps back and i shit the bed completely Mm -hmm. as a human and i i feel like it's going to be nice to look back i think 
and sort of look at all this stuff and be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I don't know where we're going to be in a year, but... Um, sure. I wanted to mark this moment with yeah. that piece. That, that was the main main thing. So I think it's good. And I think I'm it's... I'm glad you're doing these. I'm glad you're doing these because we're going to... These are going to be valuable in the future. Well, I think this is good. It's good advice. I think talking about you being a teacher, I think students taking this advice of just like mark this moment. Like you don't need to do it for better or worse. You just need to do it for you. Yeah. Like mark it to yeah. see where you've come since this, you know, like, and if for nothing else, that'll that'll bring you health i think yeah. in the long run so absolutely jenk you're a good egg Thanks buddy so much. i appreciate you um and um you know i hope we can do this in person although it seems like the u.s is going to be banned from flying the eu uh so i'm not so sure i'm going to get to see you anytime soon in person um but you know podcast mike's always Some, on buddy sometime soon love you josh i right, love you too bro take and it easy have fun with sosi will do all right see you buddy ciao was brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com. Todd Meehan down in Waco, Texas, runs an amazing company. Check them out. You won't regret it. Uh, liquiddrum.com. Also, uh, all the steel drums I play on and teach on, both at Princeton and NYU, are built by Kyle Dunleavy, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. And uh, you can also check out an organization run by my friend Kendall Williams called Pan and Motion. Check them out at panandmotion.com. All right. Hope you're all doing well. Talk to you soon. Bye.